step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. We have a special guest and a friend joining me today. Liz Reitzig is founder of Real Food Consumer Coalition. She has spent years working on politics and policy around direct sales from small farmers to consumers. Her work on several national court cases and proactive approach to policy has helped shape the national and state conversations about food and farming policies. It is vitally important to Liz that we stay engaged politically to preserve food freedom. A background in communications combined with years of PR and marketing adds valuable insights to the small farmers and food-based businesses she consults for. So we'll be talking about healing foods and health freedom, two of my favorite subjects. Welcome, Liz, to the Nature of Healing podcast. Thanks, Roseanne. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We first met six years ago in Wisconsin when you flew with your young baby to help support Vernon Hirschberger, my raw milk farmer, who was defending himself in court against the state for producing raw milk to his private club members who were part owners in the cows that produced their milk. You organized several rallies for Vernon before his trial. The irony was that the state couldn't go after him for raw milk since the law allowed the sale of raw milk through a cow share program where people could you know, become members of the farm and purchase a share in a cow and collect their own milk on the farm. And the state went after Vernon for selling raw milk without a commercial license, which he gave up years before in order to sell directly to his share owners. It was a waste of money. But long story short, Vernon won on all counts except one in a jury trial in which he paid a fine to continue operations. In fact, he ended up with more business after that fiasco. So Liz, why did you come all the way to Wisconsin at that time with your baby in tow? Yeah, Roseanne, that's, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right? It's about us as mothers and as freedom-loving individuals who want to access the foods that we know we need for our bodies and for our families. And the experience you just described with Vernon and everything he had to go through to feed his community was the same thing I experienced from the birth of my first child. And when she was quite young, she had some serious health issues, so I turned to healing foods as a way to improve her health and give something to my family that I knew would nourish them and be great for them. That's what started me on that journey. Then to find out that there were certain foods I couldn't legally access in my state, 
And then if I accessed them in a different state, I was criminalized for literally bringing those foods home. That was outrageous to me. So that's what started me on the political journey. And by the time I was pregnant with Emily, which was nine years after my first child, by that time, I was under investigation by the FDA. My farmer had been shot down and Congress was passing overarching legislation called the Food Safety and Modernization Act. And I literally felt like, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my children? How is this going to continue if the attacks against us as peaceful parents and peaceful farmers, how are we going to be able to feed our families if this continues? And I felt that it was so important to be there standing beside Vernon and standing beside all the community members who were supporting him and who needed that food and declaring how important this was right along with everybody else. And look, Roseanne, it worked. People listened. By the time we got to trial, everybody in that community knew that Vernon was a peaceful farmer feeding his community. And that's because we organized and we got that message out. You sure did. And we filled that courtroom time and time again. And we showed the court and, and the judge um, just how important it is to all of us. You know, it's interesting you said you were being investigated. What was, what was the reason for that? Well, the reason for that is because as a parent who researched food and nutrition and extensively looked into this, I decided that I wanted to raise my children, feeding them raw dairy products from local, organic, sustainable farms. And because of my involvement with that, I helped other families find and access these foods as well. And because of that, the FDA did a two-year-long undercover investigation on me and the farmer I was working with, only to discover that, yes, indeed, it was raw milk which was something we freely and openly said. <laughs> so again, I mean, look at the colossal waste of taxpayers' money in the investigation against Vernon. And the same thing. I mean, when you have the FDA conducting a two-and-a-half-year-long undercover investigation against a mom who's helping other families find and access local food that they want, that is a colossal waste of the taxpayers' dollars. Not only that, it's a complete intimidation against peace-loving people. I mean, you were being targeted on the East Coast. Max Kane was being targeted here in Wisconsin. Anybody who was trying to help other people access raw milk, which was their right, their inborn natural right, was being targeted. And you know what? They just chose the wrong people in choosing you and Max Kane and others. So uh, I think it, it backfired on them. And because everybody is still able to access raw milk. More recently, you've been working on raw milk interstate legislation that would repeal a ban on the interstate sale of raw milk so people could legally transport it across state lines. And you've also been working on legislation uh, called the Prime Act. Can you talk about, summarize these bills and tell us the status? Yes. And what you touched on is that they're, they're picking on the wrong people. Well, anybody that they pick on for distribution of, of peaceful distribution of fresh local farm food is the wrong person, right? Because we all have that inherent right to, to search out producers and to, to raise our own food. So that sparked in me an interest like, okay, how can we change these laws on the federal level and on the state levels? I worked simultaneously on both. 
And we had a lot of effective change on the state level, including through court cases. But then there's this, this overall law that says it is illegal for you, Roseanne, to drive to from, from Chicago, for example, to drive to Wisconsin, pick up a gallon of raw milk, and drive it home. That's illegal. All right? And it's massively illegal for a farmer to drive from their farm in some rural place to a city across state lines because those people want raw milk. So, so the question was, how can we change that? And there's one little regulation in the FDA that addresses that, and it's CFR 1240.61, which says it, farmers cannot distribute raw milk across state lines that's intended for human consumption. So that's the key piece we're trying to repeal. And I worked on national legislation that for several years, including with Congressman Ron Paul when he was still in Congress. Mm-hmm. And we looked at it a couple of years ago. And we said, okay, we need a different approach now. It's anything through the legislative process is worthwhile, I believe. And it's also long and arduous. It takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of funding, takes a lot of energy. So we said, what's, what's another way we could take another approach to have the same result? And our system of governance allows a legal form called a citizen's petition. We can, we can complete that. It's not, it's not like a pre-filled out form. It's like a legal, like a brief that an attorney would write. But you can put that to the FDA and say, you make a request. And so our request to the FDA was, do not enforce this regulation, CFR 1240.61, against farmers who are transporting raw milk across state lines if the raw milk carries a label that says it's raw and here are some of the risk factors and here's a recipe for pasteurization. So in a nutshell, that's what the citizen's petition does. And as long as the FDA has not ruled one way or another on that citizen's petition, any farmer who is enforced against can request a stay of enforcement while that petition is pending. So since we've put that petition in, which was a couple of years ago now, we've seen zero enforcement on, from the FDA on dairy farmers crossing state lines. So in that sense, it's great. Of course, we want them to rule in favor of the petition. And, you know, they might. But until that happens, we still have that leverage to say, look, we, we want to stay in enforcement until you've ruled on this because what we propose is extremely reasonable and it addresses all of the food safety and scientific issues that they always bring up. Wonderful. And so the PRIME Act, can you describe that? Sure. The PRIME Act is different. This addresses meat and meat sales and distribution. So, you know, as part of a clean and healthy diet, many of us choose to get meat, grass-fed beef, for example, from a local farm where we can go out and know the animals that we're getting and know the practices that the farm uses. However, right now there is an exemption. So essentially, according to the law, all meat sales need to be, need to go through a USDA inspected facility. But the exemption to that says if a farmer wants to go get meat slaughtered at a custom slaughter facility, they can do that, but that meat is not for sale. So if you want the meat from that farm, you would have to pre-purchase the animal, either the whole half or quarter, and then you would make the arrangements, sometimes with help from the farmer, 
to take it to the slaughter facility and have it processed accordingly. But, you know, Roseanne, that's expensive. Not every American family can afford to buy a quarter or half a cow worth of meat at a time, but they still want that high quality, that local grass-fed beef. So oh, it's yes. exclusionary. The way it's written right now, it's discriminatory and exclusionary. So the Prime Act increases that exemption so that farmers can go get meat slaughtered at a custom slaughter facility, which often these facilities are quite close to the farms within communities. And then people can then purchase that meat by the cut. And that's so important to some of a lot of American families who do not have the resources to invest in a huge amount at a time or possibly the place to store a lot of frozen meat. So that's what the Prime Act does. It increases that exemption. Now, that being said, all of those custom slaughter facilities are still subject to inspection on the state level. They still have standards they have to meet for food safety. And USDA can go in and still verify at any point. So that does not diminish the quality or the safety of the meat whatsoever. Great. So there should be really no reason not to be able to pass this exemption bill. Correct. There's no scientific or... Uh, reasonable reason not to pass it. Now, what it does is it helps to spread out the slaughtering and the processing into communities rather than into the consolidated centralized processing facilities where you see it now. But what, what we have now with the consolidation, it means that it's really hard for the small grass-based farmers who are maybe producing 50 to 100 head of cattle a year, that it's it's a struggle for them to get scheduled at the USDA slaughter facilities because usually those facilities are dealing with farms that have thousands of head at a time. So to try to fit in and schedule two animals, it's almost impossible. So that's the bottleneck that we're seeing in, in access to this local pastured meat that everybody's looking for now. You know, it just seems ridiculous to me that we have to be begging for something that is our right. And, you know, these legislators work for us, both on the state level and on the federal level. And they're acting like we're peasants. We have to step in line, get in line in order to get uh, anything accomplished for what we want. It's just, it's all backwards. I mean, and you're doing all this work on behalf of so many people. It's, it's great work. Are you getting paid to do this work, Liz? No, it's not paid work at this time. I would like to grow the coalition and, and have it be well enough funded that we can hire people to do some of the lobbying work and do some of the legal work. That is a goal, serious goal of mine. We need some people who can step up and be funders or people who can make small regular contributions. That would go a long way to seeing this, this work happen more on a full-time basis and go from a scattering of of what we're doing to full-time and really intense. That's what we would love to see. Yeah, and you just confirmed for me how difficult an uphill battle it is for average Americans to get things accomplished in the system, in the, you know, the federal and state political systems, government. And you're speaking to the point that this is something anybody can become involved in like you are as a volunteer without working as a lobbyist. And so can you describe the process at the federal level and how it's different than state action. So you're at the federal level trying to accomplish this. 
Right. So specifically regarding the PRIME Act, I can give you a couple of examples, but keep in mind, one of the biggest factors here is that each one of our representatives' offices, they have staff. They have staffers who are um, focused on specific issues often. And all that staff is busy. They're very busy. They have to, they have to look at multiple issues at a time. So really one of the most important things we as advocates and we as citizens can do is to stay present and stay in dialogue with those offices, whoever is responsible for a particular issue at a particular time. Stay in dialogue and, and nicely. I mean, the, the, the system is gargantuan, right? And it is a, it's a system that supports itself in a lot of ways. That doesn't preclude us from having our voices heard within that system. It does make it harder, as you've identified. It does, right? It takes time to develop these relationships, to maintain them, to make inroads there. But that is where we have our leverage. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's switch gears a little. You know most of the uh, small raw milk farmers around the nation since you've connected with or supported them over the last what decade or more you've written about them on your blogs and in your articles how long have you been working to protect the right to access raw milk and what are some of the big events that stick out in your mind yeah roseanne it's been about 15 years now and i measure it by the <laughs> by age of my children right um it's it's important work i'm really glad to do it some of the biggest events that stick out in my mind over the years are, of course, Vernon's hearings and trials, because that was a pivotal moment where the jury came back and said, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And it set a new precedent for all American raw dairy farmers. Then another big moment was when we filed our petition, because that literally put a big wrench in the gears towards enforcement. So that, that petition says to the FDA, look, we're we're looking at this through the lens of the legal system and what, where do we as citizens, where do we have our rights? How can we, how can we change this regulation through policy rather than legislation? So that really spoke a lot to the efforts that we're making, the, the community around this. That was a pivotal piece of information as well. Um, the other thing is, and it's, it's not really a moment in time. It's, it's kind of seen, landscape change, which I love. As you mentioned, when I started this, I knew a lot of the producers around the country. And now, thankfully, there's so many more. <laughs> I couldn't possibly know them all, right? That's so great, Liz. That's great. See that grow so much. And that, that's not a specific moment, but it's something that I can look at and say, okay, well, especially in this area, I can look at where was the interest here and what, like, when I first started this in my area, there was just a couple of geographic areas that were that had access. And through the work I did over the years, that expanded to a couple of hundred. And I just look at that and I think, wow, this is incredible. Like the, the exponential level of access that people now have to a product that so many people needed and wanted and and that we we've, we've seen that grow we've seen that happen 
And it's so wonderful because people are looking for healing foods now more than ever. The, you know, disease rates, the cancer rates are skyrocketing, um, autoimmune disease, children's, you know, asthma, illnesses, ADHD, all of these can be helped with raw milk. It's a simple, easy, now easier to access food, but it is a healing food. It, it's liquid gold. I used to call it when I raised my kids on it. And, you know, how do people know that it's now, you know, safer to transport this milk across state lines? You did this, you, you accomplished this great effort and, but it's not, you know, made public. It's not public knowledge. I didn't even know you could, you could safely, you know, transport it across state lines since they're not enforcing it. Well, to be clear, Roseanne, there is still a policy on the books that says they can. So that's, I would not go so far as to say that. Okay. Um, it's, it's definitely still an issue that we need to address. And it's a policy we definitely need to change either through the uh, agency or through legislation. It is a policy we need to change for sure. Okay. And how can people get involved in doing that? Go to the website, realfoodcc.com and sign up for our emails and contact me, make a donation if you can. And I am more than happy to be in touch with anyone who wants to support these efforts, whatever that looks like, whether it's a financial contribution or come to DC for some meetings or whatever that looks like. Another thing I want to add though, is that the, the attitudes and efforts of the states really make a difference as well. And one of the things I've seen, and this has been a recent development and so very welcome, is uh, 10 years ago, for example, Pennsylvania was um, not entirely supportive of the raw dairy farmers. And we've seen a dramatic shift there. And we've been working really hard in Pennsylvania to work with the farmers to get the support that they can from the PDA. Because in Pennsylvania, raw milk is totally legal to sell. They can get permitted for it. They have support from the PDA in marketing and sales. And all of, those, all of that support will focus on in-state sales because that's currently the legal structure that they can support. But that's a huge change from 10 years ago or even five years ago. And it's, it's to the credit of the current PDA and the, the leadership within Pennsylvania. And how many states can legally sell raw milk? Because it's so different on a state-by-state state level, um, I would say go to your state and find out. Because in some places, it's only legal as pet milk. In some places, it's only legal on the farm, whereas others, you can get it in the store. So that's really a case-by-case -case basis on the state levels. I'll give you a link because there is one great resource I found. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it, it tells in detail what is available in each state. And, and when it's changed, it's, it's a great site. And I'll, I'll find that and send you the link for it. Perfect. We'll put that in the notes. Liz, is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, this is important work, Roseanne. You know that if you want to have a, a healthy body, it starts with the food you're eating because we are what we eat, right? So the connection here between, it, it seems like a, a far connection sometimes. And when I'm talking to people who are really focused on the, the health or the healing world, and I start talking to them about, hey, I need help in promoting the Prime Act legislation. They kind of look at me like, well, what does meat processing have to do with this? And it's, it's actually, to me, it's such a direct link that if you cannot 
purchase the foods you need from the small local farms who are producing it. And if those farmers cannot make a living selling that food, it won't be there anymore when, when you need it. And that, that's a crisis, right? And we might not be there yet. Some, some think we are, some maybe it's not there yet. But look, if the only grass-fed beef available to me is at the grocery store for a really high price and came from New Zealand and is wrapped in plastic, um, I'd like another alternative. <laughs> and the only way for me to have that other alternative is for the farm near me to be able to make a living doing this. So sometimes that means spending a couple extra dollars on your food. And sometimes that means getting involved in exactly this kind of detailed policy change that sounds like, oh, that's, that's so different from health freedom. But no, it's not. It's exactly related. And if we're not focused on this, it will not be an option when we most need it. Oh, that's beautifully said. And if we don't have our health, what do we really have? We don't have freedom. Right. And you've been raising your kids on this and how do they respond to what you're doing and, and what they're eating? Do they, I mean, they must obviously support you, but how do they feel about raw milk? Do they talk about it with their friends? My kids love it. They love knowing the farms where they get their food. They love the quality of food we get. So another thing I want to add here is that sometimes when people hear health food, they think of boring or dry or things that aren't fun to eat. But I firmly, strongly believe that, that the, the healing foods are also pleasurable and that eating and enjoying that food is as important of an experience as, as the, the nutrients we get from it. So food should be pleasurable. And I make sure that we are, are getting and preparing our food in a way that the kids love, that, that I love, that we can enjoy together. So we have so much fun in our kitchen. We prepare, we prepare meals every single day. I also do meal planning and help people with meal planning because that's full circle to no waste and being able to luxuriate in the food preparation process and not be stressed about it, right? That's so important. So all of these things tie together and we have fun with our food. All my kids can cook down to the eight-year-old and they all have responsibilities in the kitchen suitable to their age range. And we have so much fun with it. And then we get so much pleasure from, from eating the meals we prepare. You sound so passionate about it. And, and everybody who is eating these foods are equally passionate, I believe. I mean, people really, when they are putting healthy foods in their body, their, their level of well-being rises and they, they feel positive about what's going on around them. They're not in a negative state of mind because body and mind are connected, right? And, right. and yet, we are demonized for feeling this way. We're called orthorexic. <laughs> I mean, is there a word? We, we have to change the narrative on this. It's one of those blocks, another roadblock we have to face. But I, I think what you've said is that more farmers are, are wanting to do this. There's more organic farmers out there than ever before. The, the awareness is, is growing and, and the people who want to access it is growing. So you have a very positive outlook and that's really, that's really a healthy outlook. Any other last words? Yeah, I will add that, you know, there's people who take anything to an extreme and there's a, there's a healthy balance in everything, right? And if we can find that healthy balance and not take food obsessions to an extreme, 
then we're in that healthy zone. And one of the ways I like to look at that is, look, does it add value to my life to eat this way? Well, yes, it does. I know that I'm supporting my local farms. I know that I'm eating good, clean, healthy food. I know that the farms I'm working with are improving their topsoil and making it better for the next generation. I know that my kids are enjoying the food we're eating. So all of that adds value to my life. If I become obsessed about every little bite of food that they put in their mouth or every little sip of something that they drink, then it might not add as much value to my life. So I really like to look at it holistically as where's the, where's the added value. And as long as that, that sum equation is, hey, this is making my life better. If I become obsessed over it has to be like I have to have three meals in the house every single day, then that might not add value to my life. And so I think it's really important as holistic human beings that we take a step back and look at, is this adding value to my life? And then make a holistic choice based on that. You are one of a kind, Liz, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for reminding us, you know, what our individual potential is and for doing all that you do for, for so many people, you know, starting with your own family, for yourself and your family. It's not... Um, a bad thing to put yourself as a priority and then be an example for others around you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Roseanne. And right back at you. It's always a pleasure speaking with you and sharing thoughts. Wonderful. And until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath at natureofhealing.org where you can find her books at her website, and at Amazon.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.